Welcome back. It's me, Lori, and we are headed into the book of Ezekiel, which may be one of the craziest, scariest, and most amazing books in the whole Old Testament. So join me as we jump into the book of Ezekiel for Come Follow Me. Now, as you remember this, we're not going to cover the whole book, but we're going to take it in chunks. I'm going to start uh, today by going through a few things. I'm going to give a little bit of background and we're going to spend a little bit of time in one chapter one. That's right. So we'll spend a little bit of time in the beginning. And then I want to show a little bit about the overview of how the rest of the book is going to work. And then we'll head into some of the end because we're going to see some of the most amazing and most prophetic, meaning a future seeing into the future that we're going to see in all of scripture right here. So let's jump in and see how it goes. So again, we're going to do chapter one, a little bit of structure, and then we'll hit into some of those future prophecies and other things. So that's it. All right. So when we head into Ezekiel, it starts out with really one of the most amazing and shocking stories in all of scripture. And that is Ezekiel's calling as a prophet. So when you jump in, you're going to say, this is a lot going on and there's a lot of kind of weird symbolism. And uh, if you ever look up any of the images of people that have tried to paint some of this, you really get these really wackadoodle things, really crazy insights. And it's because it's so hard to capture some of these really spiritual events, but also some of the symbols that are being used. So if we understand chapter one of Ezekiel, the rest of Ezekiel will at least make some kind of sense. Now, Ezekiel is a prophet that is going to head into really the time of the exile. So um, let's do a little bit of background about what's happening, just in case you've forgotten. So as we recall, the Old Testament is really a, a set of books, not one book. And a lot of it is looking back in time. So the Israelites become a broken and fractured people. So after receiving the promised land, the 12 tribes settle. And then they break into kind of the 10 in the north and the two or so in the south. And at this point, the 10 tribes are long gone. They've been gone for uh, hundreds of years to both um, sin and also to righteousness. But we kind of know where they are. They're kind of sent over in the kind of Iran, Iraq area, but they become lost to the Lord and lost to the covenant. So we call them the lost 10 tribes. Now, the two tribes, namely Judah and Benjamin, and again, there are some sprinkled forever. I mean, and everywhere are in the South in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is still holding out, but it's not going to last for long. And in fact, in this chapter or in this book, we're going to find out this is the fall of Jerusalem. A number of prophets are also prophesying around about this time. So right before this is the time of Lehi. So that's when Lehi is going to leave Jerusalem and head out to um, the new promised land. But as a remnant, he's going to be called out and saved. And so this is very similar to that time, very close a little bit later. Um, also, this is when you're going to see other prophets prophesying like Jeremiah. So Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, Daniel as well starts somewhere around this time and then ends up quite a bit later. Uh, he writes, Daniel writes for a long time. So you're going to have um, these big, big prophets. Sometimes we call them the uh, major prophets and it's not because they are more important, but because their books are longer. So you're going to see uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, uh, Daniel all writing in these periods. And then you get all the other one, the other 12 prophets that we call the minor prophets which are really one book. And those are all the other prophets names of the books that mostly end in Aya. So Zephaniah, Obadiah, etc. And you go through all, but there are also some other names that you probably don't read very much. Nahum, Habakkuk, guys like that. So you're going to read those coming up, but there, a lot of them are contemporary to each other. And what happens when we read those books 
is they have a lot of the same themes because, again, some of the same things are happening. So it is kind of like, like reading uh, newspaper articles from the same period of time. They're going to keep going over the same issues, issues, issues. But as prophets, they're going to be calling the people back to covenant righteousness. So you're going to see them saying the same things over and over. Uh, again, that isn't what the whole book of the uh, Old Testament is about, but because we have so many written with this, how did we get here into exile and how did all of this fall apart? Um, then they're going to answer that question. So you're going to see a lot of books cover these same periods. So Kings and Kings, Chronicles, Chronicles are more historically kind of about this long span of time. And then you start getting into the prophets who are going to talk about their story. So that's kind of what's going on here. So Ezekiel is one of those. Now, traditionally, Ezekiel um, has, he grew up in Jerusalem. And now when this verse starts, he's, it's his birthday. It's his 30th birthday, in fact. And so can you imagine having your 30th birthday in Babylon? But he has been taken off into exile some years before. Um, as a temple priest, um, at around age 20, we know that there are um, ordained to uh, different roles in the priesthood. And so at that point, they would have had more minor roles. But at age 30, uh, you are now assigned to have more important roles. So his whole life has been training up into these moments where he would be 30 and he would be um, ordained and become this priest in the Jerusalem temple. And yet, He's not there. He's, uh, his people, there are still some living in Jerusalem, but Ezekiel and a number of others have been taken away into exile. So he's sitting along the banks of an irrigation canal, a river, and he's sitting there and he's lamenting that this was my 30th birthday and I should have been in Jerusalem. And how did all of this happen when something amazing and startling and a little bit hard to explain is going to happen. And that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves right at the point of this exile. In fact, spoiler alert, in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is going to receive word that Jerusalem has completely fallen. So he is going to be called um, as a prophet at the, in this chapter one. And his main job is going to be to call the people back to repentance and the Lord is going to show them how to do that. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But that's some of the background. Again, this exile, this period when the tribe of Judah um, and the Levites and a little bit of maybe Benjamin are still living in Jerusalem. The Assyrians and the 10 tribes, long gone, right? The north is gone, but the south is still there, but not for much longer. So this is a time in which many prophets have come the people have left their covenants and things are falling apart. Lehi and his family have already left as well as a number of others. So that's exactly where we find ourselves when we meet this prophet Ezekiel. A uh, couple other notes about the book of Ezekiel. A book of Ezekiel is very profound and it has a lot of also striking and adult images. So it might not be a book that you want to read to your kids. Um, there are some really graphic um uh, depictions as the prophets trying to shake people out of their their sin. Um, also, it was it said that uh, for Jewish uh, students, uh, even today, that you should be at least thirty before you study this. So it is not for the tame of heart, but it's also not for the uh, spiritually mature. Uh, so you can take that if you think that's true. But just some insight that there are things that are going to be taught in this that are heavier and and maybe a little bit harder to understand if you haven't read some of this. I don't know. Give it a try and see what you think. But I would not read these as bedtime stories to your four-year-old, for sure. So, okay. So that's the book of Ezekiel. 
The book of Ezekiel is going to fall into a couple of sections. The first is there are going to be a few, uh, well, we'll do structure. Not. Let's go back to chapter one. I'll come back to structure in a minute. So let's, uh, that's a background. Let's jump into chapter one and find out what's going on. So I'm going to click over to Ezekiel one and, and jump right in. Cause again, if we understand the themes and what's going to go on in Ezekiel chapter one, the rest of the book will make more sense. If we don't follow chapter one, it's going to be a little harder to follow. You can do it, but it'll be a little harder to follow. Um, okay. So in Ezekiel chapter one, um, we'll go through a few of those things. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So right there, you're like, there's no doubt about what's happening. He is on this. Um, it says he was uh, with the captives, right? He has been taken exile and he's near this river. It's actually an irrigation canal in Babylon. Um, and he is there. And while he's there and it's it came to pass in the 30th year, we're going to find out later. Um, this is his birthday and that uh, he's there in this very specific day. And he sees something unique, a vision of God. Now that should leap out at us. We have already seen a number of these. We call them theophanies is the nerd word, which means a vision of God. But we see that often a calling of a prophet follows this pattern where they see into the heavens, where they see a vision of God, a theophany. And sometimes it's a cosmology, which is a vision of the creation. So you've seen it with Moses. You've seen it with Abraham. You've seen it with Lehi in um, 1 Nephi chapter 1. You see it in Isaiah 6, which we just covered, um, and on and on and on. So they tend to have this uh, Moses on the mountain. Uh, so we see that the prophet is called, and one of the things that, that calls him is that he is going to be either worrying about his people or concerned. And he has a vision of God, and then he's going to receive um, instructions. He's going to return with his calling and his testimony, and then he's going to go out and preach. And we're going to see the same thing happen. So one of the things that should jump out at us is, wait a minute, this is a prophet, and it is in, not in Jerusalem. What? You know, so even in exile, uh, the Lord is going to call a priest in this case, uh, which is unique. We haven't seen a lot of priestly prophets. Um, if you think about it, can you think of any other priestly prophets? Exactly. Moses, a couple of, but not a ton, um, as their specific calling, meaning they're Levites. So we see that with Ezekiel. So different. Additionally, he's not in Jerusalem. Um, also he is going to be called very similarly than many of the other prophets, ancient prophets have been called and maybe modern prophets the same, I would assume. So here's these things. Uh, Joseph Smith is going to have a similar experience, etc. Okay, so that should jump out of us. But again, he's in exile. So that's weird, right? You're like, well, I thought they should be in Jerusalem and they'd broken the covenant. And how is this happening there? So that is going to be part of the story. All right, verse two. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. Oh yeah, even the king's in captivity. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, uh, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar, and in the hand of the Lord was there upon him. So you're like, he is a priest. We even learn who his father is. And he is in the land of the Chaldeans. Again, that's Babylon. And he's by this river. 
and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. So this isn't just something he made up. This is a very, an illusion. Again, we see this to other where it says the spirit of the Lord or the hand of the Lord. We know that that is when the Lord is speaking to them. And then something really fascinating is going to happen. It just kicks right off in verse four. And it said, and I looked and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber and out of the midst of the fire. And also out of the midst of it came there a likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. Okay. I'm going to stop right there. Okay. So he looks to the North and out of the North, not out of the place where Jerusalem's from, right? The Southwest. (laughs) He is not coming from the Southwest, but he sees a storm coming, a storm. And we're going to see other examples where the Lord speaks out of a storm. For example, um, in first Kings 19, we met that when Elijah, right? He hears the Lord. The Lord isn't a storm, but he hears him coming from a storm. Additionally, for people in Mesopotamia, uh, God was often seen as a storm God. So it's going to have kind of, if you were going to use symbols that people would understand, they would be like, this is God, right? So not to be confused that they're thinking this is a different, this isn't the Lord, but we see that. So this is a whirlwind. And again, very, a lot of symbols coming just fast and and, uh, complicated from other Old Testament prophets. And this one is very similar to Elijah. So we see Elijah, there's a whirlwind, there's a storm, and there's a fire, right? We often see terms of fire coming. So it's like storm and lightning and fire, and it's coming, blah. And so you just think about this. He's sitting out on the banks, and I kind of think of him with his little cupcake or whatever for his birthday by himself. He doesn't say anything about a cupcake. I added that. But he's like, oh, I'm a priest and it should have happened. And then right then this amazing vision comes. All right. Now, another thing that I pointed out, a lot of layers, a lot of symbols of other Old Testament, other scriptural references. You're going to see the same thing with Lehi um, and Nephi, and you're going to see them with other Old Testament prophets. And so it it makes more sense if we remember all those things we've been learning all year, right? So just remember that's going to happen for the rest of um, Ezekiel. And it helps if you can think of those other references that we've been practicing. Okay. So he sees the storm. He sees this brightness. He sees the color of amber. Uh, And then here's a good uh, research project for you. When other times have you seen amber being quoted um, in reference to God? You might find a couple and then in the midst of fire. So it's light and brightness and whoa. And then there came four living creatures and this was their appearance. The first part says in verse four, five, they had the likeness of a man. Okay. So they're four creatures. They have this likeness of a man. And so then it, you mean like arms and legs and okay, got it. And then it says in verse six, and every one of them had four faces and every one of them had four wings and their feet were straight feet and the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot oh that's weird and then they sparked like the color of burnished brass and they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides and the four of them and they they four had their faces and their wings So there are four of them. They've got these four faces. They've got four sets of wings. They've got feet. They've got hands. They're like sparking. It's like, whoa, craziness. What are we describing here? 
Can you think of any other examples in ancient scripture when there were some kind of spiritual beings that had wings and faces and were different looking? You might not think of them immediately, but yeah, Isaiah talks about a number of these beings that are like this. He calls them seraphim or cherubim. You'll sometimes see it where they have wings and they're different. Um, these are guardian creatures. They seem to be near the throne of God. You're going to see the same thing in the book of Revelation. So you're going to see these same kinds of creatures. Um, there are even some of them with these wings and this mixed kind of amalgam look um, on the veil of the temple. So on the veil of the temple, again, they are guarding the throne of God. They are like um, um, cherubim and a flaming sword. You might see that guarding the way back into Eden. So they're on the temple. They're in Isaiah's vision in the temple of the Lord's throne. Here's another. We're going to see a throne in a minute, but they are guarding the way to the Lord. In Revelation in chapters four and five, you're going to see the same thing with some kind of creature like this, where they're like wings and, and things, and they are guarding the throne of God. So they're some kind of spiritual beings that are like that. Not to be confused with angels. Angels are different. Those are messengers. And these are um, cherubim or sometimes called seraphim. So he sees these creatures. Now, when we hear this, we're like, ah, that's just weird. But if we remember our other scriptures, we will see that we have seen these creatures before and we've heard about them. And so again, if we remember our other ancient scripture, we will be like, oh, this is the this is the group that guards the way to God, just like again Isaiah six, uh, Revelation four and five, um, etc. Okay, all right. So they have four wings. Sometimes they have six, but in this one they have four, and they have four faces. And they also it's going to say next that they were the four wings are touching each other. So the wings were joined to one another, and they turned not when they went, and everyone went straight forward. So it's four of them. They're kind of moving through space together. Okay. And then it tells us more about their faces for the likeness. Of, this is verse 10 in Ezekiel one, as for the likenesses of their faces, they had four, the four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And the four had the face of an ox on the left side and the four had the face of an eagle. So you're like super wackadoodle, right? So they have four faces, a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And they're again, four different directions. Uh, thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upwards. Two wings of everyone were joined to an, to another and the two covered their bodies. So two covered their bodies and two were touching each other. So it's like a little grid, like four of them on four corners and they move together. Um, they're not flapping their wings or anything, but their wings touch and they move. All right. A lot can be said about these different symbols um, and what they are. Are they symbols for um, creatures in creation and some are dominant and some are this, are they, um, there's a man, there's an ox, there's an eagle. Uh, also their wings, the power to move, the power to, um, uh, perform functions. Um, but also they are something otherworldly and they are similar to those other throne guardians that we see. Okay. So then they, um, they keep going. So keep going. Verse 12. And they went everyone straight forward, whither the spirit was to go. Hmm, these are spiritual beings. And they went and they turned not. Again, they're not spinning around. They're just all flowing together. Um, as for the likeness of the living creatures, again, they are called this term on uh, living creatures. We're going to see that also in um, Isaiah. That's literally the term that they're called is 
living creatures. Okay, so this is the is their phrase that they're called. So they're spiritual beings, but they're these living creatures. They're different. And it says their appearance was like burning coals of fire. So it's like just just light and glory and wow. And their appearance was of lamps, like again, brightness and light. And it went up and down among the creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. So something we're going to see in other visions of other living creatures or spiritual beings is an attempt to try to describe something otherworldly, full of power, glory, might. And so it's a lot of times they have, it's fire. No, it's light. No, it's lightning. No, it's like amber. No, it's like, like it's uh, rushing this. And so they're having a really hard time describing something, which is really unique. Um, I would hesitate to go into these and try to say they were seeing something specific like every once in a while someone like they were seeing a helicopter or something they they are seeing something um otherworldly and there he's trying to describe them but they are very similar to the other spiritual and living creatures they're called that we see in other scripture okay so very strange okay it continues um then they see um and i'm just gonna describe they see wheels and the wheels are near them too so sometimes you'll see a drawings of this um where it's like rings and wheels and eyes and all of this because someone's trying to describe this but they definitely seem like there are these four beings on the corners and then below them or near them is a big wheel and so and then on it we're going to see is the throne of god is there another place anywhere that you can think of that has a a place that has these spiritual beings with wings that guards the throne that has the throne of god and even maybe has wheels. Can you think of any place? Yeah, the Jerusalem temple. So you don't often think of wheels in the Jerusalem temple. Um, maybe for two reasons. There are all these little carts that go around the outside of the temple edifice where they have all the little uh, carts with the different um, sacrifices and different tools and stuff that they're being around. So a lot of wheels that we probably don't think of. But also this may be, uh, you can see the throne. So I have a little picture of one here that I brought. So if you think of like Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant, right? That Ark that's in the Holy of Holies is where God's throne is said to dwell. So when Isaiah sees it, he sees like the bottom part of God sitting in his train, like his glory and his like drapey clothes go all the way down. But his head is up in the heavens. Again, the temple is where heaven and earth meet. It's like this boundary and this little hotspot where they're blended. And so the, the, Indiana Jones, um, Ark of the Covenant. Here's my little, it's not a very good model, but you know, it has the two cherubim, the seraphim on the top with their wings touching. Wait, a thing where wings are touching and then the throne sits on top of it. Yeah. What Ezekiel is seeing is this kind of throne of God and it's coming, it's coming with them. So exactly. That's where we see them. These little beings with their, um, wings touching and then remember god's throne is kind of sitting on top that's what isaiah sees that's what literally the ark of the covenant is said where it's his footstool right so you kind of think of that's where the throne is sitting on top of and again it's kind of like heavens up here and earth's down here like up and down and they're blended so heaven and earth meet this is literally where god could be found his special presence okay so when he sees this we should be saying he is seeing the throne of God and it's coming towards him because he sees those beings. Now the description goes on and that makes it a little clearer in a second. All right. I'm going to jump down to verse 20 and it says, 
whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. So again, these four creatures and the wheels and all that. Thither, which just is a word for there, thither was their spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So that's how they moved. They moved around. And then when those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And then those were lifted up from the earth and the wheels were lifted up over against them and the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Okay, so these living creatures, these uh, seraphim, cherubim, they are, when they want to move, the wheels, they all move. That's all it's saying. Okay, and the likeness of the firmament um, upon the heads, the likeness of the firmament upon the head of the living creature was the terrible, the color of terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. Now remember the firmament, um, the Hebrew word is rakia. And so when the heavens and the earth are made, right, in, in uh, Genesis 1, uh, that's that word, the firmament. And so you think of it like a dome, like whoosh, it pushes up, and that's where all the stars and stuff are, right? That's how we see it. You're standing on the ground, and you look up, and you see the firmament. So it's saying that the likeness of the firmament, this this vision, what it kind of looked like on the heads, was like terrible crystal, like you could see it in light, just like, again, they're up into heaven. So you're thinking, and it stretched forth over their heads. So it's reminding us of the creation. It's reminding us of heaven above. Again, just bringing all of those things back. Um, and then let me go down a little bit further because we've got to find out who else is coming along. Um, okay, so in above, uh, verse 26, and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man upon it. So, this whole being with these wheels and these wings and all this, and that comes in and then sitting on top of them again, in our kind of arc kind of, Oh, I remember that now was a throne whose throne is on top of Seraphim and God's throne. This is the, this is God's throne. That's what the ark is. And they have wheels because they are no longer in Jerusalem. It's traveled. It's come. So it's not, we're not in the temple. Uh, so Ezekiel here waiting to get this temple assignment. He doesn't have to wait. The Lord is coming to him. So he's not, the Lord isn't pinned down to Jerusalem, but comes and finds him. And so we see that uh, there's another story of another person who sees the throne of God. And it's kind of like looking at Sapphire and it says uh, this prophet, see if you can find this, the prophet looks up and it seems like blue uh, sapphire stone. And it's like, he's looking up, um, from the ground. I often think of it like if you were laying underneath a glass table, then as you look through the table up above, you would see something. Um, and that's what he's saying. He's looking up and he's seeing through that blue sapphire stone and it's Moses. So if you ever look at the story of Moses, when he's on Mount Sinai, that's how he describes it. So again, there are going to be layers and layers and layers of references to other old Testament visions of God, Isaiah, Moses, Abraham, right? All of these prophets who are seeing this. So uh, you're going to see, I asked you to go look up the uh, reference for Amber. You're going to see that one. Sapphire stone, Moses, the throne of God, Isaiah. Also, this is the throne and it's um, these, uh, these beings, right? Same thing that Isaiah saw in Isaiah six. So if we remember all those stories, we'd say, well, this doesn't sound so wacky, and so crazy, he is seeing the same things they've seen. But here's what's different. Here's what's different. It's not in Jerusalem. He's not in the Holy of Holies. He's not in the inside of the temple. 
this special vision, the special throne with the living creatures, the throne guardians, these spiritual beings, and all of these things have come to Babylon. Wait, that's awesome. You mean God is still with his people, even in exile. So we already see that even when we've separated ourselves or even when we are apart from God, he doesn't have to be apart from us. He can still join us even when we have separated ourselves. And so we still need to approach him in holiness and righteousness. But he's saying to this righteous priest, you don't have to be in Jerusalem. I can still meet you. And that's going to be a message of hope that we're going to see throughout the entire book of Ezekiel, that even though his people are in exile and he's going to preach repentance and righteousness, and he knows it isn't going to work, he's preaching judgment, but with this hope that the Lord still loves his people and is calling them back. And those are going to be some of the great messages of the book of Isaiah. All right. Let's continue just a couple more verses in chapter one and see what else we can see about this throne and this, um, this amazing, um, glorious vision. So again, we saw the throne with the likeness of a, of an appearance of a man upon it. That's verse 26 and verse 27. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins, even upward. And from the appearance of his loin, even downward, I saw as the appearance of fire and it had brightness roundabout. So he's trying to describe it was like, you know, amber like this way and then just super bright down here and just like overwhelming. So if you were trying to describe something that was just spiritual and powerful and it was full of light and glory, the word um, in Hebrew is called kavod and kavod means heavy or weightiness. And it was like this, this glory, this heaviness, this brilliance is just wow. I love um, when Joseph Smith describes in the first vision, when it says the pillar of light, right, came down on him. And uh, in the original manuscript, it's crossed out fire. And then he goes with light. So it's very similar to this. We're trying to describe this light, this kavod, this power, this glory. And it's so bright and it's so overwhelming that there's no, there's really no word to describe this. And that's what seems to be happening to Ezekiel too. That in trying to describe these heavenly visions, it's very hard to put words to it. And indeed, he seems to be struggling here. So that's what we get. And yet it's very similar to other prophets. Cool, right? Super cool. Okay, keep going. So he sees this brightness. And then verse 28, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, a rainbow, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So he goes to all this trouble to try to describe it. And what is he saying? And even then he's trying to describe the Lord that he's seeing sitting there on the throne. And he says, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of, of the Lord. It's so hard to describe. I, I'm not even sure I'm describing it right. That's what I feel like that says. But also it's surrounded by a rainbow. Can you think of any other visions where God is on a throne and he's surrounded by a rainbow? Yeah, in the book of Revelation, that's how he's seen there. So again, you're going to see these parallels where they're seeing this, whether that's what they see or that's how they're trying to interpret it. We are meant to put them together. All right. So you have to do your homework a little bit, Bible scholars and um, scriptorians. You got to go out and say, where have I seen Moses and his sapphire? Where have I seen another throne? Where have I seen a rainbow and God on his throne? There aren't 
a million of them, so it won't take you a ton of uh, time to find them. But go look them up and you'll see where there are a lot of references here that is reminding us, like a hyperlink, of what's happening. The last uh, part of the verse in 28, Ezekiel 1 says, uh, again, this, when I, the appearance, the like of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and I love this last line, and when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. So he's sitting there on his birthday and then the storm comes out and lightning and then these creatures and wheels and then whoa and whatever. It's easy to get overwhelmed with these visions. But again, I think we're going to see some of these themes of even though the people are in judgment, even though there's some bad things happening to them, the Lord um, is going to show hope and he's going to return to his people and try to call them to him. And so here he is in Babylon of all places, calling his people back to him. And he's not restrained by the temple or anything that they've done, but he is calling to his prophet and he's going to share a message. Those are going to be some of the main underlying themes that we're going to see is the Lord loves his people. He calls a prophet and he's going to call his people back to give them hope in chapter Ezekiel chapter one. All right, let's pause and then let's go to structure next. Okay, so we've done quite a bit here in the beginning, right? We've introduced a little bit of background about Ezekiel, and then we jumped right into chapter one. So that's somewhat a heavy reading, and it's pretty exciting. So we did read most of it, but if you want to go back and try it again, um, go back and see if you don't see some of these references. An additional great study idea is to go back and see if you can see the visions of Moses, uh, for example, Exodus 24, Revelations 4 and 5, Isaiah 6, uh, 1 Nephi 1, uh, Joseph Smith History 1. Uh, Moses 2 and 3, Abraham 1, 2, 3, 4. So if you want to go and read any of those, we read where um, a prophet has had a vision of God, then that is super helpful. Additionally, if you want to do even super more homework in your fair time, then if you were to uh, understand the structure of the ancient temple, how it leads into the a throne of God, you'll see how some of these symbols and stuff are used there from the light to also to these uh, living creatures that are described. So just some things that you can do to kind of heighten your own study. If you want to dig in a little bit deeper is to see where all of these symbols are used over and over and over again, because Ezekiel is assuming that you know all of those. Okay, so there's your homework. Um, in uh, we've gone through some of them, but if you want to do a little more, there you go. All right. So the second thing I wanted to do is do a little bit of the structure since we're not going to go through the whole thing. So again, in uh, verse one, we're going to start to see this um, uh, one through 11. You're going to find um, a section about the accusations against Israel. So uh, Ezekiel is going to be called as a prophet and the Lord is going to tell him a number of things to do now in chapters four. So he's commissioned in those chapters and he's called son of man interesting phrase, right? Um, son of man in Hebrew just means mortal, right? So it's like, hey, mortal. And then we're going to see where uh, in Daniel, uh, right in the middle of Daniel 6 and 7, you're going to see where the son of man is used to be this man that's going to be lifted up as Christ. So the ultimate human, right? The ultimate human is going to be Christ, the one that we are emulating to become more like. So you're going to see this reference. But in this case, it's just the term for human, mortal, right? Son of man, right? So there you go. But in uh, one through three, the, the chapter, we just did one, but those are going to continue on to be his commissioning to go out and teach the people. And again, they're not going to hear it very well. You're going to see that same thing, whether it's um, Isaiah or Lehi or whomever, they don't tend to get the best reception. And that's the same with Ezekiel. 
Now, in chapters four and five, Ezekiel's going to do some really unique things. Uh, we call them sign acts, uh, meaning he's going to go out and do like a little one act play that are very symbolic of things are going to happen. So um, in one, uh, he makes a little um, uh, Babylon model and then he marches over it, stomp, 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 just like what's going to happen to Babylon. So he's trying to shock the people through his little symbolic plays to shock them what's going to happen. In another case, he's going to chop off all his hair and he's going to cut it into parts and some's going to go to the wind and some's going to go here, just like the people are going to be uh, scattered to the wind and sent off as slaves. And so he's trying to, again, use this little symbolic play. Now, there's one that's probably the most striking and a little bit weird, but he uh, ties himself up. He lays on one side for about a year and then he lays on the other side for a number of days and he eats a food that's cooked over uh, human excrement. And actually the Lord says, okay, don't have to do it over human excrement. You can do it over, um, uh, like cow patties, but disgusting because it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be shocking. And that's how long they're going to be in captivity and the terrible things that the people will have to eat during the siege of Jerusalem. So these are things that are shocking and they're symbolic. Um, and they're meant to be, um, little acts that are signs, sign, hence the name sign act to shake the people out of complacency to say, you guys figure it out. Um, thing. So, but bad news, the people are not going to listen. So too bad. Now in chapters eight, um, eight through 11, we're also going to see a vision. So once again, um, Ezekiel sees another vision and he sees that the people are worshiping other gods right in the temple in Jerusalem. So he is, remember, not living there, but he sees this vision of Babylon and he sees the people worshiping these um, other gods. And so, and then the um, the throne, this uh, presence, the special presence of God is going to leave um, the people. And where is it? Well, we just saw it, right? So the people have abandoned the Lord and so he has to leave. So again, the people's disobedience, they're uh, leaving the covenant has really driven the Lord away. And so he, but he gives us a little bit of hope and he says, but here's the main message, right? So even though this judgment, we're going to see hope that there's going, the Lord's going to, Lord is going to put a new heart in the people and he hasn't abandoned them, but a remnant, a little group is going to be carved up and they'll return and their hearts will be changed. And those are some of those main themes that we saw even in chapter one, that there's going to be judgment and hope. Similarly, if you remember the book of Isaiah, those are the themes of the book of Isaiah, judgment and hope. And that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. So the rest of the book falls into those two categories, judgment and hope. Chapters 12 through 20, well, really 12 through 32 are about judgment, judgment on Israel, judgment on the nations. Then chapter 33 is this little pivot chapter. That's when we find out that Israel, uh, Jerusalem indeed has fallen. He gets a message that the temple is destroyed. Then the second half is going to be about hope. So if the first half, 12 through 32, is about judgment, 33 is the hinge. And then 34 through 48 is hope. Hope for Israel, hope for all the nations, and hope for all of creation. So you're going to see how a new in uh, the hopeful chapters, which is most of your reading, 34, you're going to see how Israel will be given a new heart, uh, heart in 36. Some of my favorite verses are there. Also, 38 through 39, you're going to have hope for the nations. That's when some of the evil nations are going to be overcome. And then again, in 40 through 48, hope for all creation. Um, Ezekiel is going to see a vision of a new temple and it's gargantuan. It's huge sizes. And he uses these, um, 
these ancient um, measuring sticks, uh, kind of like a plumb line and like a compass and a level. And he uses those to try to show them these perfect ways that they should be living. So a lot of really great temple symbolism in that 40 through 48. And again, 40 through 46 is vision of a new temple. So it will be a literal temple, but it will also be a symbolic temple that is written on their hearts. And the, the, uh, the life um, water's going to flow out of it and it's going to go out into the whole world. So like, like Eden, right? And the rivers coming out of Eden, it's going to give hope and life to the whole world. So that's kind of the structure. The first part, the calling one through 11, um, the calling and, and commission of uh, the prophet Ezekiel. And we just did chapter one, but we're also going to see where he does these sign acts. And then he's going to see this vision of the people being evil And then it breaks into two sections, 12 through 32, about judgment, judgment of Israel, judgment of the nations, all these bad people. 33 is the hinge. Jerusalem has fallen. And then hope. We're going to see the second. So the second half, hope for Israel, hope for the nations, hope for everything. All of creation will be restored. Um, And that is the book of Ezekiel as far as form. So if you're going to read anything, I would read the first few chapters and then I would jump on to 34 through 37. Let's go there now and read a little bit more about those sections on hope. All right, so let's jump over to Ezekiel 36. I mentioned that those were some of my favorite verses. And so I'm going to go there now. So go to chapter 36 of Ezekiel and let's look at... Let's just do two verses. So let's do verse 25 and 26. So again, we've left off with these terrible things happening and this destruction of Jerusalem. And then the Lord's going to remind us of hope. Again, the theme that we saw in chapter one and throughout the whole book. So we're at the hopeful part. So I'm going to leave the judgment parts to you, but the hopeful parts we'll jump on. So um, verse 25, he says um, that he, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back a couple verses. Uh, Let's just do 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which he have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God. Then will I be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries. And I will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So the Lord is saying that one day I will gather a remnant out and I will keep the promise to give you a promised land and to be your God. And I will bring you out and I will sprinkle clean water on you, right? I will refresh you. I will cleanse you. I will purify you of all your filthiness of your idols. I will cleanse you. And then my favorite in verse 26, a new heart will I give unto you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a fleshy heart, a heart of flesh. So I'm going to take that rock hard heart. I'm going to give you a fleshy heart. Like it's funny imagery, but I love the idea that the Lord's going to take, put a new spirit, right? Not like a new soul, but a new, uh, a new something inside of us is going to change us now. And it's not just going to be um, robotic anymore. We're going to change really from the inside. I'm going to take that rock hard 
um, belligerent attitude, those things that I can't quite forget. And he's going to change us and make us soft inside. And he's going to do it through his spirit. And then he will cause us, then we're going to change. Then we'll do the right thing. We'll watch in his step, walk in his statutes, keep his judgments and do them. And then verse 28, and ye shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. The promise that he gave all the way back um, in um, the, in the first five books of Moses, I will be your God. You will be my people. Um, That's the same thing he told Moses in Exodus, it's the same thing he told them in Deuteronomy when they tried to enter. It's the same thing as part of the Abrahamic covenant and the new and everlasting covenant. I will be your God. I will give you a land, but I need you to change, but I will help you. I will change your hearts. How's he going to do it? Through the Savior. We give up our um, lives to him and he changes us with from within. Oh, what a beautiful promise. So some of these hopeful promises, why don't you try and see if you can't find some yourself. See if you can't find when the Lord is promising to change us from within and how he's going to do this new thing. Again, the end of the chapter is going to let you do your uh, temple study. If you have not done temple study there, it's worth a try. All right. Um, it, I think we've got it. Let's go ahead and end there. Uh-oh. I lost my connection. All right. Nope. We're good. All right. So thanks everybody. That's the book of Ezekiel. Don't forget some of the themes of judgment and hope. Don't forget about uh, calling of a prophet and some of the symbols of returning and seeing the presence of God. And then lastly, the hope that he gives to bring a savior and bring us all into his presence again, into a temple that's going to bring hope to the people of the covenant, hope to all nations and hope of all creation. Um, That's the messages of Ezekiel. Thanks everybody.